For some of you, the biggest relational trouble you've ever gotten yourself into. I mean, when you got yourself into the most hot water relationally was because you did the following thing. I'll describe it. You'll either know immediately what I'm talking about or you'll have no idea what I'm talking about. And you are so lucky if you have no idea what I'm talking about. Count yourself fortunate for the rest of us. Uh, so it was, it, it was involves text messaging, right, group chats, and there's this thread going on, and, and uh, uh, something happened in a text with someone or in some sort of exchange, and it, it rubbed you the wrong way. And so you take a screenshot of that, and you have your own comments on that, and you know exactly what you want to say about that. And you can't wait to tell your friend all about what you thought about this text, what you really thought. And so you fire off a text that may not be all that savory, and you hit send, and it's only after you hit send. That, okay, the sinners are laughing. It's only after you hit send you discover to your utter horror that you did not, in fact, send that to the person it was about. You sent it to the, I said it wrong, but you, right, you, you sent it, I can't even send this message, right, you, you sent it to the person it was about, right? So suddenly you're like, listen, uh, I got hacked, like, for 30 seconds, it was crazy. Um, now, I, I honestly, I hesitated, I really, I hesitated to use that as the introduction because in all seriousness, there are some of you that have relationships that fractured it and it still hadn't healed. There are some of you that it's like, I mean, part of us want to laugh about it, but part of us like, no, no, that, like that's real. Our words have done things to other people and we can't undo them. Some of you right now are living under the pain of a fractured relationship. What makes my example, what makes that so damaging? Why is that so damaging? Mean things get said to people all the time. But why is that? Why does it hit different when it comes in a unintentional, I meant to sit it here, but it actually showed up here? What makes that particularly damaging? Is it not because it's like now the filter's gone, right? It's like, 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 even if we're talking face-to-face, there may be a mask. There may, I, I may not know exactly what you truly mean, but now that I get to see, now that I can listen in to your reality when you didn't know I was listening, when you didn't know, in fact, you had no clue, it's like now I get to see with my own two eyes, now I know what you really feel. Now I know how you really feel about me. It's those careless words. I would say careless as unplanned words that are overheard that That totally reveals what's really in your heart. Does that make sense? This happens all the time on a national scale. Just about every few months, some famous celebrity or some business leader, somebody is being publicly ridiculed and fired and canceled and everybody wants to get rid of this person. Why? Because some recording is released when they didn't know they were being filmed. They didn't know they were being recorded and they said something horribly racist or vulgar or offensive. And and what happens? The the, the lesson, what, what What's the takeaway always, right? You hear them in their apology. What do they always say? You know, I don't know where this came from. That is complete, that does not reflect my character at all. No one believes them. Because the fact that they said it when they didn't think anybody was listening totally proves it absolutely is their character. You've literally just proved what your character is. That's why I go back to my text message thing. If somebody called like, I'm so sorry. Sorry for what? I'm so sorry that I wasn't more careful. 
Like, I think you took away the wrong lesson, right? I just need to be more guarded. The lesson I take away is I need to be more guarded about when I send a text. From now on, look twice, right? Well, couldn't we back up? Like, why would you even think that? Or where does, where does that thought before it's expressed as a text message or as words? Words have power, and, and they do reflect our character. Now, what does this have to do with us, and what does this have to do with the Pharisees back in Matthew chapter 12, which is our text for today? <clears throat> the Pharisees, even, even if you've never sent a text message to an unintended recipient that you're ashamed of, even if you've never been recorded uh, saying something that you're embarrassed by, so much of our life, isn't it? So much of our life is spent on behavior modification. We think, I've got to be more guarded in my words. I've got to be more thoughtful in my speech. I've, I've, I've got to learn not to do that again. Oh, I'm not going to do that again. And we learn, even from, a, even from a little kid, we learn, we're taught so much behavior modification, and we're not really taught like character formation. We're taught follow all the rules, right? And you'll learn not to do this, and you'll learn to do this. If you just, you know, get with the rules. Um, there's a certain generation that like, uh, you need to have your mouth, when it comes to your words, you, mouth washed out with soap. There's a certain generation where that's just a metaphor. There's another generation, yeah, yeah. And what you do when you wash the mouth out with soap, have you, have you, have you really, is that character formation? That's certainly behavior modification. You say, okay, I'm going to learn then. I don't need to say that word again. I don't need to say those things again. But even from the time, my point is, we learn over time which filters we have to put on. Wear this mask at work, wear this mask at church, and we're always putting up these filters, right? And we think, I've got to get a better filter, because what's coming out, I've got to get a better filter. Everybody does this. Even on social media, when you post a photo, many times you post that photo, it's been filtered. It goes through a filter. The, the whole idea of a filter is, I want to change how you perceive me. And everybody does this. Let me talk to those of you who think you're the exception or that you know the exception. I want to talk specifically to those of you who've said, one thing you need to know about me, I don't have no filter. I don't have a filter. I, I am unfiltered. You're going to get the straight truth from me. Here's the irony you can't see. By announcing to everybody that you're the unfiltered guy, you're actually, that's your attempt to put a filter on how we perceive you. See, your filter is you're the no filter guy. It's still a filter, okay? So, so to, everybody does this. We all want the world to perceive us in a particular way, and every now and then something comes out of that filter, Something invariably gets through, and it hurts a relationship. And so it's like, it's like that happens. We go home, we think, what? I don't know. I don't know where those words, I mean, that was really destructive. I, it's like my mouth, it's like I could create a wildfire, and this was a spark. It's like I, these words have such power, and I can't believe I said that. I just don't know where that came from. Jesus is like, in today's text, Jesus is like, I do. I can tell you where it came from. I can tell you why you spoke those words. With our words, we can hurt people, we can build people up. Every one of you who have a job, you, you know what I'm talking about. You could go in tomorrow and just with your words, you could say a certain string of words. What is it? It's just air leaving our lungs. What is it? You could say a certain string of words that would get you fired immediately. We all could. Tell me there's not power in our words. Some of you, that in your first marriage, that's what happened. And you say, I've got I've to get, get control of my temper. Some of you are convicted over the way you've spoken to your kids. And you think, I've got to get a hold of this. I've got to get a grip on this. 
Some of you, it's a real struggle, and you think, I've got to resolve not to say anything negative about my spouse in public. I've got to quit tearing my spouse down. And that's a white-knuckle resolution. Why is that so hard? Should it be that hard? Others are going, I've just got to get better about putting a better filter over the things I say. And that is what gets us to the context of Matthew 12. The Pharisees have just said, and if you, if you, if you go back, if you missed last week's sermon, uh, Jesus accuses them of being very dangerously close to hardening their hearts. They're hardening their hearts to, toward the unforgivable sin, something called blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Go back last week if you want the definition of that, if you want to think more about that, okay? But, but, but it's what they said. They spoke that Jesus, they said Jesus is able to do all these miracles. And they were incredible miracles. They were obvious to everybody. And the question was, how did they do it? And the Pharisees said, he's dabbling in the occult. Yes, he's using the power of Satan to cast out Satan. That's what they said. And Jesus goes into the unpardonable sin, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and he knows their takeaway. Well, it's going to be the wrong takeaway. The Pharisees are like a lot of us. Well, then I've got to clean up my behavior. They're going to deal with the symptom, the words I'm saying, and ignore the cure, ignore the, the cause. And so he knows the Pharisees are going to say, well, we've got to be more guarded with our words then. If that's what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is, then we've got to be guarded, you know, I guess, against our words. And Jesus is going to tell them, that's the wrong takeaway. That's like somebody saying, well, I've, I've got to be more guarded with my text. I've just got to be more guarded in every conversation. Fine, I just, I just won't say anything. Right? No, no, no. No, Jesus rebukes him and he says, you've got to, you've got to back up. You've got, it, it goes much further than your words. Look at verse 33. Pick up the text in verse 33. Matthew 12, verse 33. Jesus says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. Jesus is comparing our words to fruit. And if you think of your words as being fruit that issues forth, the analogy makes so much sense. Fruit is not the cause of the tree. Fruit is the result. Because it is an apple tree, it bears apple fruit. And so fruit, these words that come out of our mouth, are coming from our nature. It's coming from something much deeper. This is an application. So for the, for the Pharisees, for the Pharisees, blaspheming the Holy Spirit doesn't start with the words that come uh, uh, right there out of their, uh, uh, out of their mouth. No, 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 it's not their mouth that gets them in trouble. It's saying back up all the way to your nature. Now, this is going to help everybody today. This is an application for anyone whose mouth has ever gotten them in trouble. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? Or better yet, let me phrase it this way. Not just for anybody whose mouth gets you in trouble, because sometimes with a cutting remark and a sarcastic remark, it doesn't get you in trouble. It actually makes you very popular. So let me phrase it this way. Everybody who's been convicted that their words do not please God. Am I the only one who does, am I the only, surely I'm not alone, that I do an after action report after I leave every social setting? So like after the party all night long, I'm like, why did I say that? It's like I replay the whole thing. That could have been taken wrong. Why did I say that? I probably offended them. What was I thinking? That's just so out of character, <laughs> right? For anybody who's ever felt that way, for anybody who's ever thought that, you're not alone. Our words do have power. And Jesus is saying, listen, listen, if you say my words don't please God, in the case of the Pharisees, trying to say, well, then I've got to put a better guard over my mouth. I've got to put a better guard over, over my thoughts. I, I, I've just got to, 
I've just got to do better with my words. That's like going to a diseased tree, like a sweet gum tree that, that, that you want fruit from. Well, sweet gum is a beautiful tree. i got nothing against the sweet gum tree, but you can't eat that little spiky ball that falls. That's not fruit, but you really want delicious apples. So you go to your sweet gum tree, and you tape a bunch of apples all around, and you think, maybe this will prime the pump, you know? Maybe this will solve my fruit problem. Jesus says, whoa, whoa, whoa. It goes back to the tree's nature. And speaking of nature, in the next verse, he repeats something John the Baptist said earlier about these Pharisees. He says they're the offspring of poisonous snakes. In verse 34, you brood of vipers. That's what he calls the Pharisees. How can you speak good when you're evil? Diseased trees produce diseased fruit. Snakes, poisonous vipers, don't say like warm, cuddly things. They can't. It's not in their nature. What's this, this brood of vipers thing? So the, in the Old Testament, there were the prophets. They were like the good guys, like sent by God, and they shared God's word. And there were all these people that aligned themselves against the prophets and even tried to kill them. In the Old Testament, they're, they're considered vipers. They're the snakes. The Pharisees think that they're the offspring of the prophets, and all the haters are the snakes, Jesus says, surprise, Jesus is the offspring in line of the prophets. Y'all are the offspring of the snakes. You, you Pharisees are doing exactly what your forefathers, what, your, what the snakes before you tried to do to the prophets. They tried to murder them, ultimately succeeding in many ways. So if you're evil like a rotten tree, you're unable to produce good fruit. If you're an evil viper, you can't do it because it's not in your nature. How can you speak good things? Wicked words reveal a wicked heart. And what Jesus says next is so wise. It's become famous. And it is one of those things that on the one hand is so common sense. And on the other hand, you have to admit, it is the very wisdom of God. It is what I came to tell you today. It is the point of this whole passage. It is my thing that if you only take one thing away, write this down, take this. It's what Jesus says right here. Four, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. There it is. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Your mouth, in other words, is a perfect diagnostic indicator of your heart. How's your heart? Is it clean or dirty? Your heart is as clean or as dirty as your mouth. Your mouth is the indicator. Your mouth reveals what's in your heart. Out of the overflow, the abundance, the abundance, that word there means treasure, what you've stored up. Out of that comes forth. My version says, out of the abundance of the heart, the phone texts. Same thing. See, I keep using this illustration, mouth, but everybody know when I'm talking about speaking, when I'm talking about out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Does everybody understand? I also mean this. Out of the abundance of the heart, okay, the hands text. It's the same thing. How we communicate. For out of the abundance of the heart, the social media post gets posted. You see. Now, what do I mean by heart? What did Jesus mean by heart? Uh, the heart, because somebody might stop me afterward and say, well, I thought, I thought our words came from our thoughts. Well, I'll grant you that, but the way Jesus means heart, we think of heart as the seat of our feelings, usually a lot of times with love, romantic love. Jesus would have used the word heart inclusively to include the physical, spiritual, mental life, the center and source of our whole inner life. Yes, it's feeling, but it's also thinking. It's also volition, right? It's your will. It's the whole nature, the center. The best illustration, I think, would be Jesus's. Where is the nature of that apple tree located? I don't, I don't know. I guess in its 
phloem and xylem? I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I know it's an apple tree because of the fruit that comes, but I don't know. That's like saying, where exactly is your soul? I mean, it's, I, right? So in the same way, well, there's something in that tree that says its nature is to produce apples. In the same way, that's what Jesus means by heart. Your, your thinking, your character, your will, your heart. And actually, we use this in common, this is just common English language. Have you ever heard somebody say this? Have you ever said, hey, I need, to, I need to say something to you, and I just need to know, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. In fact, that's all we're saying, right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In fact, I was at a wedding a couple weeks ago, and the best man was nervous because he was nervous about the toast he had to give, and I happened to be like, like j- just with him and his buddy in a few minutes, just happened to be beforehand, it was just three of us, and I heard his friend say something so sweet. He said, uh, man, listen, I know it's easy to be nervous, but the most important thing, he told him, it's pretty good advice. He said, uh, whatever you do, just let it come from your heart. Just speak from your heart. I thought, oh, that, that's, that's pretty good advice. But then, as I, this week, as I'm preparing this, I realized, what else could he do? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Every word you say comes from your heart. It's the overflow. You can't help it. Imagine I'm given a five-gallon bucket, and you fill the five-gallon bucket all the way to the brim, and it starts to overflow a little, and let it settle. Okay, I got a perfect, I got it. I got all the water in this five-gallon bucket. Okay, Tom, now go up this rocky slope and down this set of stairs, right? Go, what, are you, what am I going to do, right? Uh, uh. As I go up, things begin to slosh out. Out of the abundance of the bucket, the water sloshes. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. All of your words are just heart slosh. I'm heart sloshing on you right now. Out of the abundance of my heart, sloshes out. You can't help it. And especially you can't help it when you really get bumped into, right? When you really get bumped, when somebody really upsets you or offends you, what's in that bucket is what sloshes out. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Here's another way to say the same point. If it came out of your mouth, it was in your heart. We need to get our heads around that. If it came out of your mouth, it was in your heart. Why is that so important? The mouth reveals. The mouth is an indicator. So many people make this mistake. They say, no, 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 my, my, my heart's okay. I just say dumb stuff. I just, I, I just, it's hurtful. And I, my problem is the tongue. See, my heart's okay. I just struggle with sins of the tongue. Jesus says, no, you struggle with sins of the tongue because your heart's not okay. That is very difficult for the Pharisees to hear. That's very difficult for us to hear. We take offense at that. No, I know I've heard a lot of people with my words, but I'm, my heart's good. I'm, I'm a, good, I'm a good person. My mama said, since the day I was a little boy, I'm a good boy. Your mama was wrong. You're an evil boy. <laughs> if it came out of your mouth, it was in your heart. Why? Because the mouth simply reveals what's there. Now, it... it <laughs> Reveals probably the key word. Your heart is as clean as your mouth. Now here's the good news. That may encourage some of you. That may be an encouragement. Because as you see a track record of your life, your words tend to bless people. Your words tend to build people up. Jesus says that's absolutely possible. Look at the next verse. He says, the good person brings out of his 
good treasure. See, there's that word abundance, overflow, treasure. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. He's simply saying the same thing in a fresh way. Imagine you went in Jesus' day in the ancient Near East. Imagine you went to someone's house for a lavish feast, and they really wanted to, oh, they wanted to pull out all the stops. And so you see him keep going back to his treasury. He keeps going downstairs into his cellar where he keeps the things he really guards, and he brings up the finest china, and he goes back and like each thing gets even better and he brings up the finest silverware. He goes back down and he brings up the choicest of foods and he just keeps bringing up. Jesus' point is he can only bring up what's in there. He can only bring up what's down there. And the evil person the same way. The reason they're not able to speak these fruitful words of building up, they can only bring up what's down there. Let's take a modern illustration. If you come to my home, we have a basement and you send my children, hey, Will you, will you go downstairs to the Richter basement? You tell one of my kids, go downstairs and bring up the queen's crown jewels. Don't be surprised when they return with two pool noodles and a broken foosball table, right? Because you can only bring up what's down there, your words. Ponder that for a second. You can only bring up what's in there. And I hope that that encourages some of you. There are some of you, I'm looking at you, certainly in the first service, there are some. We could put a microphone right up here, any single Sunday. We could put a microphone right up here, and I would have no problem at all. They came up here any Sunday. They could preach. They could, they could, they could teach. They could, they could share testimony. They could share what's on their heart. Why? Aren't you worried about what they'll say? Aren't you worried about? Not worried at all about what they'll say. Why? because I know what's in their heart. And there's so, God has done such a work in their heart, I can trust what's gonna come out because of their heart. Does that make sense? And we know in youth camp, you never do open mic night, never. And yet I would have no problem. I'm looking at some of you. Why? Because I know your heart. I've, I've lived long enough with you to see what God has done in your heart. You, even, even a recording, can you imagine? A secret recording, surprise, in your house has been recorded all week long. We've recorded every private conversation you've had in your house with your family, and it was VBS week. Yeah. It was real. Do you know there are some saints who've walked so long with the Lord, I would have no trouble. Without even hearing it, I'd press play right on these speakers right now and not have a single bit of worry. Why? Because out of the good in their heart, they bring forth good. That's what God can do in a person's life. Oh, well, these Pharisees, they were speaking against Jesus and it only revealed their evil heart. But Jesus concludes this block of teaching by, by talking about those words. When we don't think, I've said several times now, I keep calling them careless words. By that careless words, I mean really the words that are unplanned. That's what I mean. Those are the really good indicators of your heart. Anybody can put together a little speech and put on a mask, but what about those careless words like the Pharisees uttered when they said Jesus is you know, in league with the demons? That was an example of a careless word. It doesn't mean that it was necessarily, um, uh, they, they weren't just you know, shooting from the hip, but it was an unplanned word. Verse 36, he says that those words are a perfect indicator of your heart. Verse 36, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. 
Little theology lesson here. Everybody understand? Justified means declared innocent in the sight of God. Justified means declared innocent in the sight of God. He is not saying here, by your words you'll be justified, by your words you'll be condemned, that if you say just the right words or just enough good words that you'll be declared innocent in the sight of God. No, no, no. He's saying your words are a perfect measuring stick for whether or not a person's been justified. Your words will reveal that you have in fact been justified or your words will condemn in the sense that your words prove you have not been justified in the sight of God. Right? Some will look back on a lifetime of these careless, unplanned words and they'll reveal a heart that's been touched and saved by the gospel. Others will reveal just the opposite. Dan Doriani tells a illustration, a story, a true story happened to him as he's uh, in his commentary about this passage. Dan Doriani was with, let me set this up. So he was with his pastor and his pastor's young daughter. He happened to be out with them. It's just the three of them. He happened to be out. And the pastor's daughter slammed the car door on the pastor's finger. And he didn't cuss. And this is a situation that can elicit cussing. I'm told. But he said he wrote down, I'll never forget what he said. He wrote it down verbatim. Please open the door as rapidly as possible. <laughs> the best part, he said, he, Dan Doriani's watching all this. He said he didn't yell at his kid, and the kid didn't even quiver as if she sort of expected trouble. She apologized immediately. He said it was mostly his fault. But he added, it might be nice in the future if you look before you slam the door. <laughs> and that was the end of the matter. No throwing stuff, no cussing, no. Now, you may ask, how was he so guarded in that moment? What a strong filter he must have had. What good willpower to say, mm, what I want to say, right? Well, he must have been really guarded. I bet he trained for just that moment over and over at home. So that he could, because, oh, I would love to be that filtered, that guarded. That's Jesus' point here. It was, an, it was a careless word. It was an unplanned word. And in that moment, it wasn't the pastor up here preaching his planned sermon. It was a dude with a car door on his finger. The only thing that came out was the treasure that he had. And he just didn't have any hatred and evil. Because God had done a work in his heart. Uh, I'll say it again, if it came out of your mouth, it was in your heart, that is a diagnostic tool. Don't miss that this morning. Somebody needs to hear that. If it came out of your mouth, it was in your heart. The heart of the matter really is a matter of the heart. Okay, so if, this is, if you've got a blinking dashboard light of conviction right now, going, that's a diagnostic indicator. You know, check engine, check heart, because of the words that have come out of your mouth, and we don't like what we hear, what do we do? What do we do? Well, I'd like to close with some very practical application. I want to make this as practical as I can so that you can begin putting this in place today. Starting now, you can put this in place. And here, here's the problem. Before I tell you what application you need, it kind of has to be customized to where you're at. Where you're at. <laughs> so there's two things, but it depends on where you're at. So here's what you do. If you feel convicted by this, here's your application. Again, it's kind of a two-step thing. The first is, it, since, since if it comes out of your mouth, it was in your heart, what do we do? The first thing is, you can't fix it. You need to get a new heart. And technically, you can't even get a new heart. 
You need to be saved. You need to be born again. I'll explain that. I'll unpack that in just a second. And the second thing is if you are saved, if you've, got, if you've been given that heart transplant, if you've been given a new heart by God's grace, guard it with everything you got. That's the application. I can give you specifics on each of these, but you see, it kind of depends on where you are in your spiritual journey. It may be that you're here today and you're just a seeker, you're checking things out, you're, you're learning more about it, and God has brought you to a point where he has graciously allowed you to hear the words of the gospel today, and today is going to be the day you're going to receive a brand new heart right here in this place. For some of you, let, let's just park right there for a second. Why do I say this? Think back to Jesus' exact words to the Pharisees. What did he say? Go back to verse 33. He didn't say, guys, you need to improve your behavior. Guys, you need to improve the words that are coming out of your mouth. You need to act better. He says, no, make the tree good and its fruit will be good. We gotta get to the source of the problem. You need a brand new nature. <laughs> I'm sorry. If you go back to my sweet gum tree, you've taped the apples around, you've, you've shouted apple things at it. I mean, you've done everything you know. And Jesus said, what are you talking about? If you want an apple tree, cut that sweet gum down and plant an apple tree. It's gotta be a brand new nature. It's gotta be a brand new tree. That reminds me of what Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3. Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, he comes to him and he's going, you know, he's got these questions. How do we live better? How do we honor God? And Jesus cuts right through it. He says, you've got to be born again. You need a brand new nature. You need a heart transplant. Ah. See, you need to be given a new heart. The, a good analogy for becoming a Christian, the Bible talks about becoming a Christian with so many really cool analogies. You know, one of my favorites is a transfer of trust. You have control of your life, and you transfer your trust to King Jesus. I love that. You know one of the Old Testament's analogies for what happens when you become a Christian? One of the analogies is you receive a heart transplant. God takes your old sinful heart, buries that with Christ and his death on the cross, risen in new life, and he puts his spirit in you. He puts his heart in you. It's a spiritual, grace is a spiritual heart transplant. You say, well, that's very traumatic. That's right. And nobody would ever sign up for that unless they were desperately aware that they needed a new heart. Right again. That's called conviction of sin. That's exactly right. The only people who are looking for a heart, if I call you up and say, hey, a new heart's arrived, you want a transplant? You're like, nope, no thank you, I'm good. Right? Because as long as you realize you're good, you're never gonna want that. But when you realize, wait a minute, preacher's talking to me. And this is something I can't do. This goes beyond me. The Holy Spirit touches your heart. He begins to draw you. He says, you listen up now. This is you. You, you, you need God. This is an invitation here. A, a, a heart transplant's available to you. Only the Holy Spirit can do it. And if he's doing it right now, listen to these words. You don't, have to, you don't have to look this up, but I put four verses up here from Ezekiel. This is where this heart transplant comes from. Look, God says, this is what grace does. I, Ezekiel 36, 24, I will take you. God these verses are God addressing the children of Israel. They have broken his laws and they've broken his heart. Over and over again, they've turned their back, they've sinned. He says, so here's what I'm gonna do. You're dead, you're lifeless, there's no hope in you, so here's what needs to happen. I will take you. This is the ambulance ride. When somebody is completely at death's door, I'll do it. I'll take you, God says. I'll take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. And I, this is pre-op, 
verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you. Why? Because you can't clean yourself up. And I will do it, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Notice how much cleaning is in there. This is good news for anybody who says, yeah, there's a problem with my words, but it reveals a problem with my thoughts and my, my heart. What hope? Here's the hope. Do I need to do a bunch of good things? Do I need to earn my way back to God? Here's the hope. You can't clean yourself up good enough to get to God. You just go to God, and I will clean you up, he says. I'll do it. You just come to me. Oh, but I'm so filthy. I'm so sinful. I feel so guilty. I have all this shame. I have all this brokenness. I have a, then you just come, just as you are, and I will sprinkle clean water on you. I will cleanse you. That's pre-op, and here we go. That's sterilization. And here's the heart transplant, verse 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Grace is not an improvement. It is a surgery wherein God removes your dead, lifeless heart of stone and gives you his new heart. If you are not yet a Christian this morning, I'm pleading with you, be saved today. Don't miss it. So many people, this is their theology. So many people think, okay, first I do a lot of good deeds. If I do a lot of good deeds, Jesus will rescue me. I'll earn Jesus' salvation. Then I get to go to heaven when I die. It's totally wrong. It's not the gospel. That's how most people think. So I did a funeral Tuesday for a really good man in our church. There's no other way to say it. You talk about a good man who brings good treasure out. It's a good man. Here was my concern in the funeral. Because he was such a good man, obviously as a preacher, I kept talking about his home in heaven. He's with the Lord. You know, he's having his, by the way, this morning, he's having his best Sunday ever, Right? Because to be absent from the body is present with the Lord. So it's awesome, right? It's great. Here was my concern. My concern was there were going to be people that were going to hear me, and they were going to do the wrong math. They were, th their takeaway was going to be, all right, I see what pastor's saying. Because grandpa was such a good man, because this guy was such a good man, he earned a rescue, he got rescued from Jesus, and now he gets to go to heaven when he dies. And that's the lesson. And I was pleading with him, that is not the gospel. That is not the truth. That is a lie from the pits of hell. That's completely wrong. The story is not he lived a good life and earned Jesus' rescue and gets to go to heaven. He was rescued when he did nothing to deserve it. And because of that rescue, yes, his home is in heaven. And because of his rescue and his future home in heaven, guess what he did? Good works. His good works, his good words, they were the fruit that came from a rescued heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth spoke. He couldn't have done those things with his old sinful heart. He was rescued. He was saved. That's what secured his home in heaven, not his good deeds. I'm urging anybody, if you need that new heart, you have a gracious invitation from your heavenly Father today. Just right now, you don't even have to listen to any more... This sermon's done for you. You just, you just say, okay, Lord, you just go to him in prayer right now. God, I'm coming to you. I want to receive that new heart. At the end of the service, you come forward. You let us know about that decision. You let us know how we can help you on your baby steps on a new journey. But you need a new heart. Now, one last application point. I told you that it kind of depends on where you are. It, if you're not yet saved, I'm pleading with you, be saved. You know, you, you need a, a new heart. But what do, you, what do you say? Well, what if I'm a Christian? What do I do? I've been given a new heart. Well, in that case, whoo, guard it with everything you've got. <laughs> guard that new heart. I mean, guard. You know the wisest man that ever lived other than Jesus? 
was considered Solomon. King Solomon is quoted, by, is, is referred to by Jesus in just a few verses from this. And it's another sermon, another day in Matthew 12. But in, in, in the wisest words, uh, Solomon says, Proverbs 4, verse 23. Do you know this one? In Proverbs 4, 23, this is what he says. Above all else, priority. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Your version may say, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. It's the headwaters. Everything else flows from it. Your version may say, keep your heart with all vigilance. I love that. For from it flows the springs of life. It's the wellspring of life. Circle the word guard, Christian. Are you guarding your heart? Guard. How would you guard with all vigilance? Let's imagine you, you're at a military installation you're in a military base and you're commanding officer. I mean, you've got weaponry and tech and if the enemy gets, sneaks in there, it'll be disaster. The war will be lost. So you've been given the job of guarding that base. What would you do? I have no idea. I'd like Netflix Rambo or something. But as a civilian, I would probably establish a perimeter and here's what I know I would do with all vigilance. I know I would do this. I would make absolutely sure that I stood at that entrance and I would want to know everybody that came in and everything that came out. There's no way I would just leave the gate open and be like, eh, it's Coleman, come on. Like, no way. I am wanting to see ID, then I'm wanting to see ID that backs up ID. I'm, I, I gotta know what's coming in and what's going out. Why? Because I'm guarding with all vi vigilance. I know the state of what's coming in and what's going out. How's your heart? Christian, how's your heart? You should be able to answer me like the back of your hand. Is there any bitterness in there? Any unforgiveness? What's going on in your heart right now? And if you'd say, well, I don't know, I don't think much about that, you are not guarding it with all vigilance. And I'm challenging you, I'm encouraging you. Let's up your guard game a little bit, a lot. Because the Bible says above all else. That means priority, above all else. I mean, you think about that for a second. Above all else, there's like 66 books in the Bible. And of, <laughs> of everything Solomon who had all this wisdom, above all else, are you serious? Keep better tabs on your heart because it is the wellspring of life that is more important than anything else in your life. You should know your heart better than anybody else. Young people, if I asked you right now, uh, do, do you know the condition of your heart? Uh, what's your GPA? Some of you would be able to tell me without hesitation. Some of you would, would hesitate. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> you would know your GPA. Why? Because grades are important to you and you guard that. And you'd be able to know immediately what's your GPA. Guard your heart more than you guard your GPA. How's your bank account balance? Some of you check your bank account balance almost daily. Guard your heart more than you guard that. How, is your, how does your team currently rank in the standings? Some of you know it immediately. Oh yeah, we're two games back. Hopefully we can get, you know. How's your heart? How's your, how's your quarterly sales data? You know immediately. Off the top of your head, you can tell you how your sales are doing. How's your heart? How's your 401k performance? How's your portfolio? You know that number immediately. How's your heart? See? Guard your heart. Above all else means you would be better off giving out your internet password. You would be better off giving out your banking password and login data than to give away your heart. You're actually better off because a bank is not the wellspring of life and your social media is not the wellspring of life. 
Your heart is above all else. So if I can be just super, super practical, let me just ask you three questions. Pastor JP from Texas, I don't know if you listen to Jonathan Pakluda. He mainly, a lot of times, speaks to young people. So one of his themes is guard your heart. He says one of the ways you can guard your heart is ask yourself some questions. He's got like a big list of them. I just took three, I thought, for our purposes today. Start asking yourself um, who, when, and where. You want to guard your heart? Go ahead, write these down. Who, when, where. The the who. Uh, Let's start with the who. Who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? Right now, who who are you listening to? Uh, Just by the way, church, if my mom ever hears this sermon, let's all agree, this was, to whom are you listening? (laughs) Okay, all right. All right. I see you, mom. I feel you. (laughs) Some people say, I I don't know why these words are coming out of my mouth. Well, let's check your heart. Are you guarding your heart? How do I know if I'm guarding my heart? Show me your Spotify playlist real quick. Show me your Spotify playlist. He said, well, I don't know. Okay. Well, I I mean, if you're you're gonna put these things and give them unfiltered access to your brain, you're gonna have a very different day based on who you're listening to. And just so everybody knows, I'm not not picking on, I mean, like, that's what Proverbs says. Everybody knows above all else, guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. Not everybody knows the verses above that. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. They're life to those who find them. Healing in their flesh. So what do you listen to? What's always in the background of your house? What's always on? What are you consuming? Hey, listen, if if you consume sugary junk food all day long and you come to me and say, my heart is racing at night and I have high blood pressure, I'm gonna be like, well, I, I think it's what you're consuming. How is that not different for your heart? If you consume all day long CNN and MSNBCs and Fox News, it's the sugary junk food of intake and at the end of the night, your blood pressure is raging. You're like, what could it be? Guard your heart, turn it off. So you're scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. Above all else, guard your heart. Who are you listening to? What are you taking in? When I was a kid, the news started at 6 o'clock p.m. and ended at 6.30 in time for Wheel of Fortune. It was glorious. Now, the news starts and only ends when you get sick of it and can't take it anymore. That's not a good ending. That's, right? Why? Because it's always, who are you listening to? I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the message. Oh, how much God, oh, how well God must like you. This is his paraphrase of Psalm 1. You don't hang out at Sin Saloon. You don't slink along dead-end road. You don't go to Smart Mouth College. Instead, you thrill to God's word, and on Scripture you chew day and night. Who are you listening to? That leads directly to when. When are you planning your time alone with God? When do you set aside time alone with God? You want to guard your heart? You should know the condition. When is it? When do you have time? Just you and the Lord. Let him draw you close. Let him tell you that he loves you. Receive that love. When is that time? When? Proverbs 4.26, right after this, he says, ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Okay, well, if you're gonna plan your path, it needs to be with the Lord. So who are you listening to? When do you set aside time with, alone with God? You could go on and on. I'll just give you one more. Where are you looking? Where are you looking? Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Where are you looking? I, I, I don't want to belabor this point. I want to be sensitive. But uh, can, can we just agree um, we have to guard our eyes if we're going to be serious about guarding our heart. Where are you looking? Um, I, so you guys know about like, uh, if everybody's familiar with the algorithm 
whatever you follow on social media, the echo chamber, somehow these, these robotic algorithms out there um, give you more of what they think you want, the content that you're looking, right? So, and of course, like we all know, they say they're not, our phones are listening. I could be like, oh, I need a new rug. And later it's like, are you interested in rugs? Not cool, man, not cool. How did you know that? And they're like, we're listening. Whoops, but did we say that? Anyway, the idea of the algorithm, right? So it's like, whatever, YouTube, all that stuff. It's like, hey, based on what you've watched, we think you'll want this. And you're like, what? I wouldn't want you. How do they know? This is amazing. Okay, right. So it's this algorithm, right? It, it, whatever you, you, I think in some ways your heart is the same way. Your heart's like, oh, we noticed you're interested in this, so, so we want more of that. So we'll, We'll just, we'll just treasure more of that. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And obviously you're into this, so we'll just keep treasuring this. You know, uh, 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 Selena Gomez, uh, uh, the heart wants what it wants. The heart wants what it wants. What a cute saying, the heart wants what it wants. The heart doesn't want what it wants. The heart wants what it's fed. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. And above all else, guard your heart. Why? It's the wellspring of life. Brandon's going to come and lead us in a time of response. I mean, Jesus is saying, actually, like, this is, this is why he said in Matthew 11, come to me, because, like, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you leave here and you go, whatever, I'll just try to guard my heart. I'll just try to do, I mean, I'll, I'll just try to guard my lips. I'll try to do better. I'll put on a better filter. That's what the Pharisees would do. They were legalistic. It's so much harder. And Jesus is saying, it's actually easier if you'll just get a new heart, if you'll just let me trans." Form your heart, like, a, like the story of the little shepherd boy with the sheep, and he wanted his sheep to get clean water, and it was nasty and brackish, filled with litter and trash and remains, and oh, and, and, and it couldn't get clean water for his sheep. And an older shepherd says, well, here's your problem. They go all the way up to the headwaters, and there at the spring, everybody was using it as the town dump. And he says, if we can guard this spring, your sheep will have no trouble drinking clean water. That shepherd could spend the rest of his life trying to clean out that stream, or he could just go to the source, guard that, and it'll be fine. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I want you to consider one last thing. I read this illustration many years ago. It was in a Max Lucado book, but I was able to, with a little Googling, I was able to confirm it, and sure enough, I read the story for myself. Tara Storch understands the miracle of a heart transplant. Because that's what grace is. It's a heart transplant. In the spring of 2010, a skiing accident took the life of her 13-year-old daughter, Taylor. Every parent's nightmare. One day, a sweet family from Texas, a living nightmare the next. Tara Storch's family decided to donate sweet Taylor's organs to needy patients. Thousands of miles away in Phoenix, Arizona, a woman named Patricia Winters had needed a heart for five years when hers began failing. She had gotten to the point where she was so weak, all she could do is sleep all day. Her only hope would be a heart transplant. It turns out Taylor's heart was a perfect match. The operation was a success. Patricia was given a fresh start on life. And in just a few short months, she began to resume a healthy lifestyle. Well, looking for hope wherever they could find it, Tara and her husband wanted to meet, if it was any way possible, they wanted to meet some of the people who had received Taylor's organs. And long story short, she was connected with Patricia and Tara had only one request. She wanted to hear the heart 
of her daughter. So she and Todd flew from Dallas to Phoenix and went to Patricia's home and wanted to listen to Taylor's heart. Local news affiliates picked up the story and they filmed it. There was these long hugs and there was this fateful moment when Patricia hands Tara the stethoscope. And when that mama listened to that heart rhythm, let me ask you, whose heart did she hear? Did she not hear the still beating heart of her daughter? It indwells a different body, but that's the heart of her kid. Christian, when God bends down and listens to your heart beating, does he not still hear, does he not hear, whose heart is that? Does he not hear the beating heart of his son Jesus that lives in you? That's what Ezekiel says. I'm going to put my spirit in you. That is Christ's heart in you, living through you, thinking thoughts through you. Here in 2023, that's the resurrected life. You can't do that apart from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. God hears Jesus' heart when he listens to your heart beat. That is a treasure. And out of the abundance of that heart, let your mouth speak this week. Let's pray together. Oh God, grant us wisdom to know how to apply this message to our lives directly. For anyone here who is not saved or listening to this on a video someday, let today be the day of their salvation. You have graciously allowed them to hear the gospel that, 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 that Jesus, you died in our place and for our salvation on that old Roman cross. They laid you in the tomb and on the third day you were raised from the dead. You invite us. If anyone comes to me, you said in John 6, you will not turn them away. So if anyone needs to receive that new heart today, let today be that day. And for Christians who need to pray and confess and repent and stand guard over that heart, oh God, grant us the grace to consider who we're listening to and when we're planning our time and where we're looking. God, grant to us that, that beating heart of Jesus would be such a treasure and out of the abundance of that new heart, we would speak forth new words. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet for the invitation? Well, I sure hope it's clear. If you're not yet a believer, come, be saved today. Let us know about your decision. Let us know how we can help you, pray for you. Talk to Pastor Scott. Set up a time to meet. If you are a believer and you want to come and kneel and pray and let those good words come out of your heart in prayer, if you want to do business with the Lord right where you are, whatever it is, you do what you sense God leading you to do. Pray. Lord,